0: every single paycheck. So let's jump in and teach you how to hire like a pro. Hello, Jimmy Van Kuyk here and welcome back to the Growing Your Team podcast. Today I have on guest Dana Dowdell. But before we jump into everything, just a quick reminder to be sure you go over and check out the Growing Your Team shop, which you can access at growingyourteam.com slash shop. Here you'll find resources, templates, guides, and recommendations so you can hire and lead the team that you need for your business. All right, so let's jump into learning about Dana. So Dana is a self-proclaimed HR fanatic, but she's not your typical HR consultant. Known for her fresh take on human resources and the small business, Dana is the founder and owner of Boss Consulting HR. She's an expert coach for HR professionals and spearheads two different podcasts. But she couldn't stop there. A fierce advocate for mentorship, Dana is also a part-time professor at URI and ECSU, teaching the next generation of HR experts. It's her mission to do away with stuffy by-the-book HR and instead to tailor to clients' actual HR needs, values, and culture. Most of what Dana does is from the ground up, and she's no stranger to telling it like it is. Her approach to the realities of human resources is what sets her apart. The go-to expert source for everything HR in business, Dana is your gal. A refreshing perspective infused with a lot of humor and a bit of profanity. This episode, don't worry, we kept it clean, but we're talking about HR and why it is so important for small businesses. I think this is the perfect episode to celebrate the Growing Your Teams 200. 100th podcast episode because we're talking about how all these different pieces really make a huge difference in your business. We're talking about why, from your first employee, you need to start worrying about your policies and procedures. We're talking about why onboarding and hiring the right people really make a difference. And we're really getting into how HR really dictates the growth potential of your company and helps you reduce risk that you didn't even know you're in potential of having. So let's jump into the conversation so you can really learn how to do things right from the grounds up when you start adding people to your team. And if you already have a team, start identifying if there's areas you need to revisit so your internal policies can match the awesome business that you have created. Hi, Dana. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Growing Your Team podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Jamie.
0: Yes. Before we jump into today's conversation, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your business?
1: Sure. So I own a small business HR consulting firm called Boss Consulting HR. So we help small businesses with fractional or outsourced HR services. I'm also an educator. So I'm a part-time professor at a couple of universities locally. And then I'm also a podcast host. Awesome.
0: Yes. And uh, I was on your podcast a few months back, so we'll be sure to link that in the show notes. It was such a fun conversation. I loved it.
1: It's so nice talking to other people that exist in the HR sphere.
0: Yes. Yeah. And I I feel like talking HR is such an important thing for small businesses because I think a lot of times we hear the word HR and we think corporate. I'm too small for that. It doesn't apply to me. What do I really need to know? Because I have maybe under a certain number of employees based on what their state regulates and things like that. So I feel like even though businesses operate in HR policies and stuff all the time, whether they know it or not, especially like hiring and recruiting and all that stuff when they're small businesses, they're not, I think the term HR scares small businesses.
1: Well, I think they, they think that they only need it when they get to a certain size. So when they get to 50 employees and they're subject to the Affordable Care Act, that's when they start thinking about HR, because they often think about it in a very kind of historic way where it's, it's that, uh, personnel management or people management, and it's very much transactional, very much compliance focused, but, and a lot of the work that we do is, is it's that right. Because you have to have compliance within an organization, but it is, it's the people, it's the employee one, employee number one is, has a need for, human resources support and services. And so there's no business too small that, that needs HR. Yes.
0: Yeah. I totally agree. And I think like, you know, some of the stuff we might get in a little bit when we kind of dive more into, you know, really what, what, what is fractional HR and stuff like that? How can we get HR support as a small business? Sometimes we think about HR as this, this, huge, like kind of full-time thing. And we're like, wait, I only have one employee, one part-time employee. Why do I need kind of this full-time support with my business? You know, we think about it, all these, all these things, like that's much larger than what we need now, but what we need now are kind of the building blocks. I remember working this last year with an organization where we were bringing on a senior leadership role And all of a sudden, like red flags went up that I'm like, oh my gosh, you need to talk to someone HR because they're going to make an offer. And I was like, all right, well, you know, we need to talk about this and this because this person's going to have questions and they're like, I don't know. I just offer whatever I feel like to each employee when they come in. When and I was just like, no, 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 no. Like we cannot do that. You you need to start getting things standardized. You can't decide your vacation policy for each employee that comes in. You can't decide these benefits for each employee that comes in because one, how do you keep track of that? And two, like one of the things that was. So like the reason why it's such a red flag for this organization is every other person on their leadership team so far was a male and this was their first female. And I'm like, you cannot be offering the female anything different, anything that could be seen as less than the men on your leadership team.
1: Sure. The optics are of it are huge. And that is the story, I think, of a lot of small business owners where they have employee number one and they come up with a plan and they don't put anything in writing. And then it comes time to hire their second employee and they're either forgetting um, what they offered employee number one, or that second person comes in with different needs or demands or, you know, compensation requirements. And there's no structure, there's no consistency to it. And before you know it, I mean, the more employees you add to your team, the faster you grow. And before you know it, it is, it's like a, it's like a, you know, a like turf. Ter- yeah. Like a turf, you know, I'm, I don't know why I want to say a turf, a turf wheel where it just keeps on adding more and more and more. And, and if you haven't been intentional and thought through these things from the beginning, it's a lot harder to dial back and Put some structure in place, especially if you've traditionally been responsive and reactive to the candidate's needs versus really uh, proactive and structured in what you design.
0: Yes, yes, definitely. And I feel like part of that is because when we go to hire our first teams, we just we just don't think about those things yet. We think about, I need somebody. Okay, well, mm-hmm. what's your vacation policy? What are your holidays? Yeah, you as a small business owner, you probably work, you know. 365 days of the year. Sometimes you don't care that it's, that it's Thanksgiving because this one thing needs to get done, but what's your policy for your employees? What, What are you expecting of them? Like, what are all these things that you didn't think of when it was just you because you didn't need to, but now you're controlling kind of someone else's livelihood and they want to know, and you need to have some policies that make sense.
1: Well, I think it's even, even before you bring in benefits to it, it's, It's how are you training this person? How are you onboarding this person? What does their first week, two weeks look like? Are you just throwing them into it, expecting them to know exactly how your business operates and that they're going to be successful? The likelihood of that happening is very, 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 very slim. And stuff like resources, telling them where to park on their first day, like all of these things you have to think about and they all tie into how you are viewed as an employer for current employees, for future employees and what your reputation is as as a viable employer.
0: Yes. and I think you just brought up such a good point, Dana because you know once again, like a lot of times when we think about HR, we think about it in that the benefits, the policies, you know and all that stuff. And you know too often that onboarding, that first day experience gets overlooked. And I think studies have really shown that that first day makes a huge difference in terms of retention. That onboarding experience makes a huge difference in terms of retention, but it's often overlooked and we don't really see it once again as something that HR can necessarily help us with as a small business.
1: Well, and I think if you're a small, you know, I think about myself, right? I'm a small business. I was a a party of one for the first four years of my business. And then I hired my first employee in 2021. And when you're in that state, you are working in your business, right? You are, I'm a service-based business. So I'm working one-on-one with clients. And so when I onboarded my first employee, my day was stacked serving clients and, I think a lot of small businesses find themselves in that spot where, how can I, how can I put the time and attention and intention into training someone when I have to make sure all of these things are already attended to, or all of these clients are served, or I have to work the cash register or whatever it is. And that's okay. Right. You can't shut down your business just to train someone. But I think the key in those situations is the communication of what is happening. You know, if, if, if your first couple days of training is that they simply just job shadow and that's what you need them to do, then just communicate that expectation. It's not that you just don't onboard them and don't put thought into it or intentionality into it, but you have to communicate what they can expect in their first couple of days with you.
0: Right. Yeah, exactly. It's one of those things when I'm working with clients and we go to create onboarding plans. They always take longer to onboard and train an employee than they think it's going to. And I, what I sit there and say is, let's say it's a full-time employee. You don't have 40 hours to train someone that first week. So what are they going to do the rest of that time? And you have to realize because you don't have 40 hours and because the way people learn and absorb things, it's going to take X amount of time to get through everything that you want them to get through. And that's kind of that wake-up call. And they immediately go, you're right. How am I supposed to spend 40 hours in training someone when I still have clients to serve? Mm -hmm. I can't be talking through everything that I'm doing. So there are some things where they can shadow and watch, but you can't, it slows you down to have to talk through and train every step of the way. So when are you going to train? What are you going to have them do when they're not training with you? So they're not bored. So they're not feeling like, did they even know I was starting this week?
1: Right. Like,
0: yeah, showing up. Like one of the things I always talk to clients and they're like, oh, this person can start right away because they're currently between jobs or they don't have anything. And I was like, no, 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 no. They cannot start tomorrow. And they're like, why? I'm like, when are you going to get their equipment ready? When Mm -hmm. are you going to get their email address? When are you going to get their logins for the systems that they need to be able to access that are like, oh, oh, that's right. I have to do that. I was like, all that stuff needs to be prepared for their first day. Otherwise that first day is a waste.
1: Well, I think in that switching when you switch from operations focus and just being so focused on having a person in a seat or a, you know, a role filled and switch the lens to being more people focused, then you start to realize that all of those things matter. Yes, something as simple as what's the dress code, where to park, um, do I need to bring a lunch that day? What else do I need to bring with me? Is there any paperwork that I need to fill out ahead of time? all of those things might seem small but they make a huge huge difference in the overall employee experience and i think sometimes we we see these large organizations doing these wild robust onboarding periods where they you know i don't know i think of zappos all the time where they host conga lines in their call center and and you don't have to get that crazy but you know those those simple things about what can somebody expect for their first day it just makes, it's, it's, it's an invaluable task for you to do to really set someone up for success.
0: Right. Right. And I'm so glad, like, once again, you brought up that lunch, that parking, those things where for you, it's second nature, but the new person coming in, they're like, wait, what, what do I do? You know, what is the policy, you know, what is allowed and things like that. And, um, just, a when this episode goes live, an episode that goes live a few episodes before it with Heather, she was talking about a, an experience she had when it came to lunch on a first day at a new job. And one of the things that she had mentioned was the entire like office got together and took their lunch break together at a room and everyone brought their lunch and she was there the first day and didn't have a lunch, but it was her first day and she wanted to meet people and wanted to hang out with the team. So she went with no lunch to go hang out with the team in the office because her bonding with the team was more important than her going to go grab food. But she said, it was just kind of that uncomfortable thing. She goes, why didn't no one tell me that this is what the team did and give me the option saying, this is what the team does. You can hang out with us. It's your lunch breaks. You can go get food, but we want to let you know. She's like, once I knew that, I knew to bring in my lunch on day two to hang out with the team if I wanted. I knew there was days I could go and leave to go get lunch. But she goes, it created that awkward thing because nobody told me what to do. And Mm -hmm. a lot of business owners, when I talk to them about that, they're like, they never think about that of communicating lunch. What is the norm? What can they do? Do you have an hour lunch break for your employees? But where your office is located? Good luck them going out and getting something. So you know, most people do bring their lunch or things like that. You know, just those. It's so simple, but it's so important to that overall. first impression.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and and it 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 is it's setting expectations. What is the expectation of my first day, and so I come from a hospitality background. And so every, you know, I I look at everything from a hospitality lens and, and that's what it is. It's what is the hospitality of you as an employer? How are you welcoming someone into your organization? Um, If you're a psychology person, if you think of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, safety and security, sense of safety and security is at the very bottom as an essential need. And so if you think about stuff like lunch, parking, uh, paycheck. When am I going to get my first paycheck? What is your pay period? All of those instill a sense of safety and security in someone, which is essential for them to then move up to a higher level of existing. Right.
0: Yeah. Paycheck. That's also a really great one. Like knowing the pay schedule and everything. Cause you know um, I know every time my husband switches to a new job, I'm just like, all right, well, when are you going to get your first paycheck? And he goes, I don't know. And I'm just like, all right as the person who pays the bills, I want to know, is there going to be a gap? Like what is the pay cycle? So that way I know like how to, how to do the bills on our side, you know, Mm -hmm. what are we prepared for? Like, and it's just more, it's about being prepared. It's not about necessarily And some, some of your employees are going to be like this. I need that money now because I'm struggling to pay my bills. And how am I going to pay my bills if I don't get paid right away? And for other people, it's just that, I just, I just want to know, I want to be prepared. Do I need to slightly shift things around for a temporary basis and things like that? It's yeah, it's, it's those little things that make a huge difference. And one of the things I always say is how does that employee enter on the first day of work if you're in a physical space? Because it might be one of those things that all your employees enter through the back door but they don't have any credentials to enter through the back door. Mm -hmm. They don't actually know where your back door is compared to every other back door, like in, in that office complex or in that building or things like that. So it's like, all right, most are like sending out a message. Most of our employees enter through the back, but you'll have to enter through the front door and someone will meet you that day. So that way we can get you your ID badge or whatever, or I'll give you a tour and show you around. So that way, you know, where to enter day two and beyond. So it's those simple things of, yeah, make them feel welcome, make them feel that they belong, that you're helping them belong right from the start.
1: Yeah. It's essential. And and to your point earlier, it makes a huge difference in onboarding. You can, you can mess up a day of training and, you know, not have it structured, but have done a really good job for their first day and making them feel welcome and, and seen, and valued, and set up for success, and you'll still be fine. It's it's really those, and it's even before day one, right? The, the offer process and making sure that they have the information that they need to make the best decision for themselves. I think sometimes, like recruiting and negotiating, it, it's looked at as um, very salesy, super salesy, right? Like I'm going to sell this person on this job. That's not the right fit for them at this low rate, just so that we can get this person and their skill set. And when you switch to a people-focused viewpoint, it's what information does someone need to know for them to make the best decision for themselves and maybe their family. And that looks like making sure that they have the benefit information and cost before they accept the offer. Don't give it to them after, because what if the benefit premiums are three times what they were having to pay before, right? Like all, I think we sometimes keep things really close to the chest because we don't want a competitor to know what our benefits look like or what our benefits cost. But in those moments, you shouldn't be worried about your competitor. You're, you're in front of this person that you're trying to convince joining your organization is the right choice for them, but they need to have all of the information to make the right decision. Think about recruiting as you would any other, um, consumer process, right before you buy you research. And if you're giving them the appropriate information to make the best buying decision that they are most comfortable with, that is really essential to the recruiting onboarding process as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's so important. I feel like there's, especially when it's your business that you've built from the ground up, it's your baby. We kind of get into this mentality and I've had to coach a lot of business owners out of it is people are lucky to work for me. I'm giving them such a great opportunity. This is such an amazing place. I want to hire someone who really, really wants it. They're, they're not going to care what that compensation is. They're not going to care about that benefit package. And I'm, I just always have to remind people is people are working for that pay. They're working for that benefit package. They're not working for you just because they love what you produce. Like even nonprofits, people still have to pay their bills. They still have to keep a roof over their head. They still need to have health insurance, whether it's you're supplying it or their paycheck produces them enough income so they can go and get something out on the market themselves. And like, if you're not able to produce for them what they need they're not going to come work for you, or at least they're not going to stay with you.
1: Yeah. I wish that podcasts could pick up on eye rolls. Like I wish there was a sound for eye rolls because when you were saying that people, you know, the, the mindset of people should feel lucky to work for a certain employer, I rolled my eyes so hard because, you know, of course you look at your business as the best employer out there and, we all went through the pandemic. We also what happened with the labor market, where it became a candidate market and they had a lot of choice to pick and choose where they go. We're also in the world of information is readily available about employers and experiences and TikToks where they're showing, you know, what does it actually look in the back of house for a restaurant or what does an actual break room look like? You know, all of these pieces of information make up and contribute to someone's decision-making. So though you might be really proud of you as an employer and your, your business as a place to work, you have to think about what is, I call it the EVP employer value proposition. So what does someone get for spending eight to 10 hours a day working with you? And it's beyond just wages, right? It's not, you know, you can say, well, they get to work for a great employer how there's lots of great employers out there. How are you differentiating yourself to a candidate other than pay to make the eight to 10 to six to 12, whatever your shifts are worth it for them to spend their time with you.
0: Right. And I think we also have to remember is great employer is based on the employee perspective. Not what, not for you as a business to necessarily define. Obviously, you have to do work to become a great employer, but one person could see you as a great employer. Another person, because their needs, their wants, their desires, their personality is completely different, could come into your organization and, and hate it and not see you as a great employer. So I think, you know, like we talked about, it's so good to be able to kind of define, not just, oh, we give them a great work environment. Well, why? What is it? Because those are gonna, those are the things that are gonna say have some candidates say, yes, this is the place for me. This is the job for me. And other people say, Well, while the work is what I want to do, this is not the place for me, and I'm gonna go elsewhere.
1: Yeah. I feel like we started with onboarding and we're like backing up into uh uh the Uh, recruiting process. And now we're going to go into the interview process because that's where you find that out, right? You, if your organization is really structured and has a lot of policies and procedures and, and um, you know, is really clean and and tight in terms of how you function and operate, the interview is where you're going to find whether or not your organization and how you run is a good fit for someone. If you're asking someone, how do you, you know, what type of systems and processes do you like within an organization? And they tell you, I fly by the seat of my pants and I, you know, I'm a bit loosey goosey and I I prefer to just kind of see what happens in my day. That person may not be a good fit for your organization. So it starts at the interview process. Obviously the onboarding process and training process is kind of the other bookend of it, but that's where you find out where someone's going to be a good fit. And I want to you know, I think I teach at in college and students often will say, well, to motivate someone, just pay them more, just pay them more. And I hate that mindset. I'm a big fan of Dan Pink's theory of motivation, where, where he says, if you take wages off the table and you're making sure that you're paying someone a fair wage, employees need three things out of work, autonomy, mastery, and a sense of purpose. And I think we sometimes get so caught up in the wage nonsense of paying someone a, you know, a crazy high wage or incentivizing them simply by their paychecks and we forget about those intrinsic things that are really important to people. I have a client now actually, we had an employee that was making uh, about $40 an hour in his role and he was he was actively recruited by another organization and was offered a rate of pay of $60 an hour plus a $50,000 bonus that was paid out over three years. And we couldn't compete with a $60 an hour wage. It was not within our budget. It was not something that we could do. And so we left and we left on good terms. We don't, you know, you can't blame someone when they're pursuing an opportunity like that. And he just called us yesterday and said, they sold me a pipe dream. That's not coming to fruition. And it's not what I thought it would be. And that's a perfect example of where the money is not always the motivator for someone's engagement within your organization.
0: Yes, yes. I think that's so important. And I think like when, you know, we cannot stress this enough, you need to be paying your employees a fair wage. Like, you know, we talk about money is not a motivator, but you have to be paying your employees fairly and appropriately for the work that they're doing and the the environment where where they live like let's just leave that there but that is super important but it's not it's not everything you know when you look at what actually does motivate an employee on an individual level so everyone's motivators even if they fall into those three things that you mentioned there's there's different things that motivate individuals and i remember going through motivational exercises with my teams before to really learn what their motivation was not one of them was money Money, when he actually they, they did these um assessments, my team, almost every one of them, money was actually near the bottom of the list. And yes, we need money to survive. We need money to improve our place in society, to buy those things that we want, to support our kids, support our family, support ourselves, support our pets, like all these things that you need money for. But when it comes to being happy at a job and wanting, you know, what feeling that you're Like, as you mentioned, like that you're secure, that you're valued and all those things. It's not
1: money. Mm -hmm. I'd be curious if there's a study out there where, you know, you ask a hundred people why they hate their job. I would, I would put money that 95% of the reasons have nothing to do with money. That it's not that they're not being paid enough for the work that they're contributing to an organization. It's probably that they're not feeling challenged or they don't feel respected or they don't feel included, right? Those softer, intrinsic things that an organization can provide to an employee, it's not the money. It's not the money.
0: Right. And it's even one of those things like I tend to work with a lot of nonprofits and nonprofits historically pay less than a for-profit company for the same same work. And sometimes I feel like that's another conversation where I'm just like, we need to start realizing that people should be valued at a compensation level, no matter what type of organization they work for. But that's a conversation for another day. But when I'm interviewing people, sometimes I'm interviewing people that are coming from the for-profit space. And coming to a nonprofit, and the first thing they say is, I know I'm going to have to take a pay cut to come and work here, but here's what I'm looking for. And like so there's people that are realizing that money is only one part of that equation. And when it comes to their happiness at work, as long as they can pay their bills, as long as they can keep food on the table and a roof over their head, that they want so much more. It's not just money.
1: Yeah. I feel like this is like an infomercial sales pitch for HR consultants, because this is what we do, right? We help employers, hiring managers, see all the alternatives within the guidelines of compliance and what's legally required. But you know, if you're a small business owner and you're going at a thousand miles an hour, I'm willing to bet that you're just like, yep, $25 an hour full-time full benefits that's all you that's all you communicate to someone and this is where hr can really step in and and um make your recruiting onboarding hiring interviewing process more robust more closely aligned to your organizational values help you find the better candidate that's going to fit within your organization and be more successful that's where our value is it's sure i9s and payroll stuff and you know harassment handbooks and all of that stuff that's part of it right but it's it's really this the human side of of business
0: yes yes and of course that brings us right to where i wanted to make sure we got to is at the very beginning you mentioned the term fractional hr and i know um on this podcast we've talked about the term fractional a few times but First, can we start off, just in case people are unsure of that term, what does fractional mean?
1: So fractional HR is essentially, rather than having a full-time HR person on staff, you are taking a fraction of the HR responsibilities and roles and outsourcing it. So um, maybe it's just your interviewing process or your onboarding process. Maybe it's your benefit administration. Maybe it's a couple different things. And what Fractional HR does is it allows an organization that maybe doesn't have a budget for an $80,000 a year HR professional to come in, or maybe they have a payroll person or an office manager doing their HR. It allows those organizations to tap into a resource for the really important HR functions within an organization without having that $80,000 a year price tag.
0: Yes. And I think it's so important because as we talked about at the very beginning, people think HR, they think this whole corporate team and you're like, I can't afford that. I got one employee, but there's ways to get help and ways to get the support that you need from that very first employee on. So you're doing it right.
1: Absolutely. And I think, you know, I have a couple different HR mantras, you know, if it's not documented, it didn't happen is one of them. And then the other one is that it's not a problem until it's a problem and i think sometimes businesses fall into that where they're like i have a great team i've never had any issues i don't need hr and it's it's a very defensive stance on things and you know all it takes is one situation one issue to have a need to have hr on your team and so I think with fractional HR, that's one of the values and benefits of it is that you have that resource available to you before you actually need them. And then when you do need them, they know your organization. They know the players. They know how your benefits work. They know how you actually onboard people. So you're not having to tell the whole story all over again. They are in the trenches with you before you even get to the point of actually needing them in a, in a kind of a crisis situation.
0: Yes. Yeah. And I think that's so important. Yeah. You're putting the right policies and procedures and everything in place. You're thinking about things proactively versus reactively. And I think, um, you know, this didn't happen to someone I know, like one of my clients, but I remember someone coming to me and being like, all right, I want to make sure with hiring, I have all my T's crossed and my I's dotted because someone I know hired a remote employee out of California. And they didn't realize like all these things that California requires, even from a very first employee. And so they end up getting sued because they didn't have things in their handbook and policies set up in place. And it's one of those things that sometimes we don't we don't think about things like that. But when you have another set of eyes, they can say, "Hey, hold on, before you hire this person, do you know that you have to think about this? Do you have to add this to your handbook, that you have to do these things that you don't even know that you don't know.
1: I think that's a great point because as we have become more of a remote culture here in the United States, I think people think it's easy just to hire someone who works in another state. And it's not that it's not not that it's not easy, but you need to have the awareness or have someone on your team that says, hey, we, you know, if I have an employee that's living and working in New Jersey, in Michigan, we need to follow Michigan's labor standards. We need to follow New Jersey's labor standards. I won't touch California. So I refuse to work with anybody in California because it's so complicated, but, but having that awareness of, um, what are we liable for by having an employee work in that state? And when we flip it to, to like the people focus of that too, I'll give you a perfect example. We have, um, we have a client And for some reason, they hired a remote employee who was working in Tennessee. So uh, aside from that one employee, everyone was working and living in one or working in one state. So they were never subject to another state's um, labor laws. And so they had this remote employee working in in Tennessee and um, they never set themselves up as a Tennessee employer. And so the employee was having, I'm in Connecticut, so the employee was having Connecticut paid family leave insurance taken out of their paycheck, but they would not be able to apply for it because they do not work in the state of Connecticut. And the employee wound up needing a leave of absence. And so it's it's not just compliance-focused. That's a people-focused conversation is what benefits does this employee need from a state statutory perspective that we need to make sure that we're set up for.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It brings up this whole level of complexity. And like what I tell my clients all the time, when they're going to go hire remote employees, it's, not that you can't do it, not that you shouldn't do it. You just need to be aware. You need to know what it means to hire somebody in that state. You need to know that state A and state B as a remote employee aren't the same. And you can hire as remote employee in this state and it's everything's okay in this state. You have to jump through a whole bunch of different hoops. And it's just like, it's that awareness. And I think it brings out the power of having a fractional HR person that's on your extended team because then You don't, as the business owner that's already kind of in some ways underwater time-wise, because that's the reason why you're going to hire and expand your team, you don't have to worry about figuring out all these things yourself. You have someone on your team that it's their job to help guide you and help you figure things out and do all that work without you having to dig into all these guidelines and procedures and requirements and everything yourself.
1: Mm-hmm. And I, this is, you know, I love working in human resources. This was the industry that I was meant to be in, and I very much believe in it. One of my biggest frustrations is that we are not viewed as a valuable resource. And so many people think that they can do HR and that it's simple. And it's not simple. It is not simple at all. It is complex, it's complicated. And that's why I think, you know, fractional HR and having an HR consultant on your team or having, you know, some sort of resource so that you can make sure that you are up to date and complying with what you need to comply with as an employer is really essential. All it takes, especially as a small business, right? All it takes is one wage and hour complaint, one harassment discrimination complaint, one major workers' comp issue. Like these things can be detrimental to your business. And that's why, you know, I, I'm, I'm a little bit biased, but that's why, (laughs) you know, this fractional HR is just so, it's so essential.
0: Yes. Yes. I feel like that is so important. And it actually brings up something that I'm so glad you said that. Cause I was like, Ooh, I want to ask about this. And I was almost forgetting is I've helped recruit for a lot of people for kind of like office manager positions or things like that, where it's like HR falls under their to-do list. And I'm just like, okay, you have this person that's not trained in HR, doing HR, and I think sometimes there's a difference between just kind of the day-to-day execution of things where maybe they can get trained and then the higher level knowledge. And so one of the things I always ask is, what's their resource? Who are they working with outside to make sure they're doing the right things? Is it, it's one thing to have your maybe office manager process your payroll, but are they really the right person to be answering complex payroll questions. You know, it's one thing to have them be like, okay, here's a simple process to sign these people up for benefits, but are they really the right people to be selecting the benefits? Cause they actually understand what is required for benefits for a business of your size, for your states and things like that. That, you know, I think sometimes when we put these responsibilities on office managers, assistants, you know, executive assistants and things like that, you're putting a lot of risk and liability inside your organization because they're not being partnered with someone outside the organization to really help guide them. And what's your opinion on that?
1: I agree wholeheartedly because that's we see that where it's uh their skill set is in the administrative tasks or the administrative functions or the payroll functions or AP or AR, you know, the finance side of it and and the complex HR stuff is just not in their wheelhouse. The other thing that we see a lot is confidentiality issues, right? They oftentimes the people in those roles, they are, they are employees. They're, they're peers. And this is not, this is not a, a push necessarily for fractional HR. This is just a push for having someone within your organization that can be a confidential resource. And I find that those that sit in those executive assistant or finance roles they don't necessarily inherently have the level of discretion and confidentiality that is so essential in an hr position we hear that time and time again with clients that come to us and they often come to us with that where they're saying we have someone that's doing this in-house, but we have some concerns about confidentiality or nobody trusts going to this person when they have issues, right? That confidentiality, that sense of trust, that sense of fairness, essential for someone in an HR capacity, whether they're a consultant and outsourced or whether they're, you know, in an internal employee that serves in that role.
0: Yeah. And I think that brings up a really, really good point because- When you're looking, let's say for an office manager and executive assistant, you're exactly right. You look a lot for those admin responsibilities. Can they keep us organized? Can they, you know, do all these things to keep the office kind of in line and running smoothly? And we're often not looking for that the confidentiality, kind of that that leadership management type thing, type stuff where it comes to like. Think about sometimes you use HR. There's problems. I'm having a problem with this employee. Help coach me through it. It's not just about reporting it. It's about getting help with the situation. And a lot of times the office managers and assistants, they're not trained to do that.
1: Yeah. And I will say, you know, this is a plug for independent consulting companies because Um, Depending on your payroll provider, you might have that service built into your payroll services. A lot of the larger payroll platforms are advising you can get an HR consultant for $99 a month or, you know, it's, and that's great for the right organization. The nuances of your organization are so essential to the conversation and understanding the players, the history, that is really key to good hr practice i had someone uh um ask me if i would if they could pay me literally just to write their employees up because they just didn't want to do it and i i said no because those types of conversations should be had with the manager with a support from hr and so having those relationships established are really um important when you're dealing with the people process. If I just go into an organization and start wreaking havoc and doing layoffs and, uh, you know, writing people up that doesn't instill any more trust in the organization by the employees. So finding someone that you feel can get to know your business, get integrated into your business and can support your business on a personalized level, I think is the way to go.
0: Yes, I 100% agree there. Like these topics, what they're going to help you with, they need they need to know your business. business. If you're having problems, they need to understand what's going to work for your business, you know, what's not. You know, if you're having, let's say, attendance problems, there are methods to kind of overcome that, that work in one type of business and one type of industry that you go to apply it in another one. It's not going to make sense. You know, it might be that You work in one industry where attendance problems are really a huge deal because if they're not there, let's say you mentioned you came from hospitality. If nobody's there to wait on tables, you have a huge problem. Another business where maybe everything's remote and who cares when the employee does their work? So you create a policy maybe around more flexibility that those they're not the same thing's not going to work in both companies.
1: Right. And that's, I get so frustrated when people buy handbooks off the internet or like adopt handbooks from their brother's company or something like that, because it doesn't needs to be customized for what is specific to your organization and statewide too. I mean, different industries have different in Connecticut. There uh, is generally no report in time requirement, but there is for certain industries. And You're not going to know that if you're buying a handbook off the internet from your payroll provider, or you're, you know, taking your handbook from your last employer before you went on your own and just slightly adopting it to be yours. You're not going to know those things. So, and if you're
0: like me right now, you're going, okay, I have never heard that term report in requirement. I have no idea what you're talking about. So maybe I need to work with somebody.
1: (laughs) So some States, Rhode Island is one of them that says that if you, um, if an employee is scheduled to work and they come into work and you didn't call them off, essentially tell them that they didn't have to come in, you have to give them at least three hours worth of work or three hours of pay. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. And see, those are some of the things that you don't know that you don't know, which is mm-hmm. why it's so essential to work with someone who this is their job to know this stuff. This is their job to guide them because yeah, like it's so important and you can get yourself in huge trouble if you're not doing things right when it comes to HR. So I know Dana, we have to start wrapping things up. So we might have sure. people right now, they're saying, oh my gosh, I need to talk to somebody. There is so much that I don't know about HR and I need to get somebody on my team that can help. So tell everybody how they can get in touch with you.
1: Sure. So the our consulting company is called Boss Consulting HR. So if you go to www.bossconsultinghr.com, uh you can find us there. We do specialize in Connecticut, Rhode Island and Massachusetts because state laws are so complex. However, we do have a good network of other independent HR consultants in other states that we can we can connect you with. So
0: awesome. And of course, all the links will be in the show notes over at growingyourteam.com. So if you miss any of those, you can either rewind or go over there and grab those links. And my final question that I love to ask all my guests, we've all had leaders or managers that have stood out to us. Think of a leader or manager that stood out to you and share with us one thing about them.
1: Um, boots on the ground leadership, meaning showing up, and not not just uh, emotionally and and. Uh, invoice and email, and all of that, physically getting in front of the people that are are serving your department or serving your business, um, being physically present is really important.
0: Yes, yes, I I 100% agree. And of course, this is going to look a little different in remote environments, but it's still possible to do it.
1: You just have to be intentional about it.
0: Yes, exactly. All right, Dana, thank you so much today for joining us on the Growing Your Team podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Are you getting ready to hire and you wrote a job posting for your open position, but now you're left wondering, will it attract the right candidates? Hiring isn't as simple as telling people that you're hiring and having your perfect candidate show up ready to fill the role. Hiring just doesn't work that way, especially in the current market. The best candidates only apply to the positions that appear to be the right fit for them. If they don't find a connection between their job wants and your job posting, they'll skip over and go to the next opportunity. And in many cases, the reality is it's not the job isn't what they're looking for. It's that the job posting just didn't hit the mark. So is your job posting helping candidates see that your opening is right for them? Or is it turning candidates away for all the wrong reasons? Let's find out. I am currently offering Will Your Job Posting Attract the Right Candidates Audit. Through this audit, I will review your job posting, and I will tell you what's working and what needs to change so you can attract your idea candidates. So if you want your job posting reviewed by an expert before it goes live, or if you have a job posting that just is not hitting the mark in the current market, sign up for an audit. Let's review it and make the changes needed so you can attract your perfect fit team member. Because remember, you can't hire a candidate who never applies for your job. And most candidates won't apply if they don't feel connected to the job posting. So let's make sure you have a job posting that will attract all the right candidates and help you make this hiring journey easier go to growingyourteam.com slash audit and sign up for your audit today. Once again, that's growingyourteam.com slash audit.